0: Let me read a few verses from Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. Verse 22. And the Lord Jesus said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. Neither have they storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? I like that. How much more better are you? (coughs) That's good English. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you take a thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not, seek not ye, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your father knoweth that you have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We'll stop right there. Last week, the Lord laid on my heart one particular verse, one particular idea, and we looked at the context to get to that idea, and uh, in a similar way, he's done the same thing for me today. In addition to the lessons of the verse that I've chosen to examine, rather briefly, there are other lessons in all of these 19 verses and as you can see, the, chap- the paragraph goes on down to verse number 40. We just don't have time to look at it all. The verses we have just read came on the heels of Jesus' parable of the rich old fool. We have a rich young fool elsewhere, but this is the rich old fool. Verse-, verse number 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully... And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said to himself, This is what I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will I bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Please keep that verse in mind as we get to our message in a few minutes. God said unto him, Thou fool. Keep that verse in mind as we get to our message in a few minutes. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich Toward God. But now, after addressing a, a variegated crowd of people, the Lord turns to his disciples and he turns to us. Verses 22 and 23. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore, notice the therefore. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. I'm sure that it is true of all you wives and mothers, but I marvel at one of my wife's daily accomplishments. She might argue with me about this a little bit, but uh, it's a compliment. She plans our meals. For the day by 10 o'clock she knows what i'm going to have for lunch usually she knows what we're going to have in the evening sometimes she knows what we're going to do tomorrow and she'll go to the grocery store and she'll buy things based on what she will be feeding me on wednesday by the way this is fellowship sunday Judy will start tomorrow making plans for what she's going to do on Fellowship Sunday. She buys groceries thinking about a a recipe that she recently saw. Ooh, I'd like to try that. We're going to need some different things. She was telling me about this last week. And then there are the old favorites. We just have to have the right food for that favorite meal. She does it over and over and over again. She's been doing it now for 54 years, faithfully. But uh, isn't the Lord forbidding her from planning what we shall eat? No. No, he's not. Well then, what is the meaning of take no thought for what you're eating, or what you're going to eat, or what you're going to put on? What is the meaning of take no thought? Somebody give me a suggestion. Don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. Maybe anxious is a better word. Don't be overly concerned about it. Be not anxious or worrisome over the day's recipes. That's not to say you shouldn't plan for them, but don't fret. Don't worry. Notice the emphasis in these two verses on your life and the body. These are aspects of the physical. These are aspects of our physical lives in contrast to our spirits and our eternal souls. Yes, we live in bodies. And each day flows into another day, and those days collect, and we have weeks, and then we have months, and then we have uh, 54 years together, that sort of thing. But who we are before the Lord is more than the accumulation of our earthbound days and the well-being of our bodies. Our bodies can fall apart. I've heard that. But that's not the life. That's just an external evidence of, is evidence the right word? The real thing is the spiritual, not the physical. We are children of the eternal spiritual God, and our citizenship is in heaven, not in Canada, not in the United States, as children of God. And the more we set our affections on things above, rather than on things on the earth, the more content we will be, and... In all reality, the more joy we will have in this world. The less we seek the things of the world, the more joy we will have in the world. Sounds contradictory, but it's biblical. Take no thought for your life, neither for the body. The life is more than meat, more than the food you eat, and the body is more than raiment. Okay, the Lord Jesus is talking about one specific area of these people's lives. What if Jesus said, take no thought for Herod and Caesar? Would the lesson have changed? I don't think so. It's not for the Christian to be anxious or worry about who's going to be the next president. How long he will be. Our focus should be on the king of kings. The lord of lords. Who sets up kings and removes kings. Who can veto anything that the president does not veto. He has all authority. We should live in the thought and the joy of the lord's immediate return. Yes, we have wicked governments all around us, but those things can come to an end in a moment, or as we said last week, they could come down with uh, anvils upon us, but don't worry about that. That's what the Lord is saying. Don't be anxious about these things. We should live in the light with which the Lord rules every day, every week. What is he giving to us? Let's move forward. (coughs) And the Lord gives us some illustrations. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, by taking thought, can add one statue to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that which is Least, why take ye thought for other things? The other day, doesn't happen very often, there was a crow in our backyard or very close to our backyard. Usually they like to stay at church rather than go to our house for some reason or other. I don't understand that. But there was a crow in our backyard. And uh, I was really impressed with his vocabulary. I mentioned it to Judy. They say so much more than the, the doves do. They have far more eloquence than the, the sparrows have. I was really impressed. I didn't understand a word he was saying, but uh, I, was, I was impressed with his vocabulary. I've been told that crows and ravens are particularly smart For being mere birds. Do you remember when we were coming back from Colorado? We stopped in Yellowstone and we were at some food place and there were some ravens there. You don't recall. (laughs) It was amazing what those ravens could get those people to do. (laughs) They knew every trick in the book. They are smart. They aren't good farmers though. And I've been seeing dozens and dozens of pictures of osprey taking those red kokanee out of the lakes and the rivers. But uh, crows, they don't fish. They steal, but they're not industrious. Let's just put it that way. They're not industrious. And yet the Lord takes care of them. Aren't God's children of more value to God than sparrows and crows and ravens? Do you suppose that Christ mentioned ravens intending for the disciples to think about Elijah and his relationship to ravens? Here, Elijah was in the midst of one of those many famines that the Lord gave to Israel to like waken them up. And he was off in the middle of nowhere. A little brook that he sat by dried up. And the Lord brought to Elijah, regularly, twice regularly, food, which may have been taken from the king's table, I don't know, and the transportation system, ravens. The Lord is saying, I'll take care of the ravens, I'll take care of you, I'll take care of you the way... The ravens, at my command, took care of Elijah. Was that in the back of the Lord's mind when he gave this uh, reference to ravens? We don't know. Can't answer that. But the point was, I don't think Elijah, at that day in his life, when he was still filled with faith in God, After the first few days, you know, I don't think he really got too concerned. What am I going to eat tonight? My wife didn't tell me what the uh, recipe is for today. Uh, The Lord will take care of it. I'll eat. I'll eat. The Lord will feed me with these ravens. The Lord takes care of things. Elijah knew the principle of Isaiah 26.3. The Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Elijah was there. The disciples, perhaps not so much. You and me, even less. And that's why we have the Lord giving us this lesson. And by the way, who can worry himself into growing? I know little children love to do that. Oh, I wish I was as tall as that person. Who can grow, worry himself into growing, adding a cubit to his height? This is a rhetorical question, of course. No one can. I'll ask a question of my own. Why did the Lord refer to a cubit? A cubit is 16, 18, 24 <laughs> inches in height, uh, for a guy to grow a, a, a foot and a half, that's that's pretty miraculous. Not even Kenneth Copeland or, or Joel Olstein can think themselves into growing a, a cubit 18 inches or even 18 millimeters. If you can't add to your height through anxiety, which is essentially unimportant, very important to some little children, but really it's not... What makes you think that worry is going to contribute to more important things? Trust the Lord. We get to expect our worry to work on more important things because they are more important? No. Worry is the opposite of faith. And whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then, God be, if then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, Neither be ye of doubtful mind. Lilies, not roses. Did you know that the Chinese began cultivating roses 500 years before Christ? Just a little bit of uh, research on the internet, I found out that in the Mideast, I don't know if it was particularly Israel, but uh, uh, the cultivation of roses became very, very popular prior to the time of Christ. So why did the Lord speak of the beauty of the lily rather than the spectacular beauty of some fabulous rose? Perhaps it was because lilies grew wild and the best roses need cultivation. We may cultivate lilies today, but God cultivated the lilies of the field and the lilies of the valleys In Jesus' day, he cultivated them, he fed them, he enjoyed them, God killed them, all for his glory, whether man was involved or not. Do you remember Jonah and his concern over the gourd? He went to Nineveh, he preached the gospel, he climbed the hill, sat down to watch the destruction of God fall on the great city of Nineveh. And then the Lord allowed a plant to grow up with big broad leaves, a gourd of some sort, and uh, shaded him for a while. Oh, Jonah was happy with that while he was waiting for the judgment of God to fall on these people that he hated. Uh, And then all of a sudden God killed the gourd. It's... God's gourd. He can do whatever he chooses. Verse 28 seems to to suggest that gourds and lilies and other plants are nothing more than grass to the Lord. We may think that's a spectacular field. It's just grass. We'll grow another field a different day, a different year. Year of much more value than lilies. And Ninevites are of much more value than gourds. A single human soul, especially the redeemed soul, is of infinite value. O ye of little faith. What was Jesus' tone when he said that? O ye of little faith. Of course, he is speaking to us. O ye of little faith. But at the time, he was speaking to the twelve. What is the likelihood that some of them were worried about what was going to happen to their families in Galilee while they were gallivanting around Judah uh, preaching Christ? What's going to happen to them since I'm not fishing any longer and the income hasn't been coming in very well lately? What's going to happen to them can we trust the Lord to uh, feed our families at home? Oh, ye little faith! Don't I take care of the lilies and the ravens? I don't detect. This is my own personal opinion. I don't detect any brutality in Jesus. Oh, ye little faith! Uh, was there pity? Was Jesus sad? Why don't you have faith? What's wrong with us that we can't trust the Lord for these little things when we can trust him for eternal salvation? We can trust him for that big thing, but big physical things and little physical things? Don't be of a doubtful mind. Don't be unsettled in these things. God will take care of you, we sing from time to time. Verse 30. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. The godless people of this world seek after things which are eventually going to be thrown into the oven. They're going to be lost. Two weeks ago. The elk fire I don't know any of the details but I would guess that there were some million-dollar places out there in those suburbs some pretty fancy homes ten acre properties orchards I don't know Uh, one day that million-dollar house was perfectly fine and Uh, They were out painting the porch. Three days later, burnt to the ground. Gone. Wiped out. (laughs) Tossed into the oven. And uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing over and over again, "We we will rebuild. It's just stuff, they say. We will. Rebuild. We still have our family. Yes, we lost our family pictures and a couple of our horses died and a, a, a pet or two. Uh, but we will rebuild. We are resilient. But can those people guarantee that they won't be burnt out again in another 10 years? No guarantee at all. And what about those poor people down in Florida who cannot buy insurance for their homes because two or three hurricanes go through their neighborhood every year and people lose their homes down there yet the nations of the world seek after these temporary things with unending optimism I'll use that same word up op- I, I won't use it but I Remember the word optimism when we get to our message at uh, 11 o'clock. Unending optimism. Why? Because that's all they have. This is it. My million dollar home on 10 acres in the woods. That's all I have. The Lord is telling his disciples you have such, so much more than that. Don't worry about whether or not you have a a meal planned for 6 o'clock tonight. Trust me, he says. You and I, as children of the eternal God, have a great deal of eternal blessings at hand and in promise. And every one of the Lord's promises will be fulfilled. You and I have a Father in heaven who not only knows about our needs... He cares about us. He loves us. And uh, he has the ability to take care of our needs. Verse 31. For all these things that the nations of the world seek after, but rather you seek after the kingdom of God. And all such things, all these things, shall be added unto you. In three successive verses, the Lord said, Seek, seek, seek. Christian, don't seek after the things of the world. Those are things that the lost world seeks after. Rather, you should seek the kingdom of God. Does to seek simply mean Obey the Lord. Do what you can to glorify His name. Float along through life. Taking the bumps and the blessings. Does seek mean passively move from day to day? It does not. It means so much more. It is the same word in each one of these verses. It means to diligently look for something until you find it. Seek. Seek. Jesus is telling us to be excited about his glory. His rule. The things of his future. He tells us to seek for his return. To set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. One of the things that I have learned about the subject of revival, reading history books and this sort of thing, reading what we find in the Word of God, one of the things that I have learned relates to this verse. When God's people put the Lord first when they strive for his glory, when they're seeking spiritual things such as the salvation of lost souls, when they yearn for the Lord's glory, when they give no thought to the world's persecution of them, as they seek the Lord's glory, they find the Lord opening doors, including cupboard doors and pantry doors, uh, storehouse doors, doors, barn doors the lord blesses when we put first things first when we're striving for the same things that the world is striving for out there they're going to be successful but we may not be we may come up really short put the lord first and see if he will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings, that there shall not be room enough to receive them all. We could go on. Probably should. This is going more quickly than it did last week. We could go on. We should go on, but I will quit with verse number 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you're not. Have you ever noticed how frequently the Lord is talking about one subject. Or using one illustration. And all of a sudden there's another illustration that's completely different. Uh, he does that sort of thing right here. Just to keep us on our toes I suppose. There's no reference to sheep or goats thus far in the Lord's message to the, the disciples. We have lilies. They grow in fields. I don't know what a group of lilies would be. A cluster, a bouquet. And uh, we have ravens, uh, but no goats or sheep. And yet here he refers to these disciples as a flock. Birds of a feather do flock together. Judy and I are being highly entertained right now by the uh, goldfinches. Are you aware of the fact that as winter comes, all of the little birds, like the goldfinches and the sparrows and the uh, uh, red faced finches and those other things, they all get together? Uh, They become one flock during the winter. I had to look that up, it was surprising to me. But uh, where am I going with this? We, we're enjoying the goldfinches. The, they, they're flocking together. But do we have a flock of crows in the church parking lot? Would you call them a flock? Murder. Is a murder? Murder. <laughs> there, there are other words, too. There is an unkindness of flocks, or uh, crows. They're a rave, if they're ravens. Uh, a company. I just call them a family. We have a big family of crows living out here. But uh, I, don't, I don't call them a flock. They're too big to be a flock. But then, turkeys flock, don't they? Anyway. 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 What's the first thing that comes to mind when you read the word flock coming from the lips of the Lord Jesus? Crows? Turkeys? Sheep. Sheep or goats? Sheep and goats. Again, to whom was Christ speaking? It was to his disciples. Might it be argued that he was speaking to his church? Can't we call our church one of the Lord's flocks, or at least a part of the Lord's larger flock? And doesn't the Lord use a really appropriate word to describe this flock? Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the blessings of his kingdom. Little flock. Our church isn't much larger than the flock that Christ was addressing on this particular day. We're a little flock. Flocks of sheep are notorious for needing shepherding. They are essentially defenseless, they don't have fangs, they don't have claws. They're stupid, from what I understand they will be feeding in a field they'll just eat the grass right down to the dirt pulling up the roots of the plants until there's nothing left and that field is not going to recover for uh, several years they have to be moved around a flock of sheep is an excellent description of a church fear not little flock fear not what fear not whom The Lord doesn't limit his exhortation except in a little way. Do we need to fear the economy? What if it falls apart? We trust the Lord to feed us. Should we fear the government? In a sense, yeah. But don't fret over it. Don't fret over it. Don't fear the... uh, uh, Recent version of the plague that's been upon our land for three years. They just change it every year. It moves on. Sweeps through us once again. Don't fear the false doctrine attack. Defend the truth. Don't fear the unbeliever. Evangelize him. Matthew ten twenty-eight. Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. I'm not saying that we don't need to take precautions. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying uh, we shouldn't fill our pantry. But as servants of the omnipotent god we have nothing in this world to fear amen and yet having said these things i think the lord's point is slightly different in this verse than what i've just expressed isn't the lord jesus saying there's no reason to fear that the father will not give you the kingdom the blessings of the kingdom what does the lord mean I have to confess. I've been reading the word of God, reading other people's writings. Brother Keener wrote a book on this subject. I can't tell you exactly what the kingdom of God is. I'll let somebody else do it. It's it's too too big and broad for this simple mind of mine, but I know it's big and I know it's good. I know it belongs to the Lord. I know it involves his sovereignty and the blessings that come out of his care of us. Whatever it is, I'm not going to take thought about whatever it is. I'm going to trust the king of the kingdom to take care of me. I'm not worried about what I don't understand about Christ's kingdom. I'm absolutely sure that whatever it is will be wonderful. Because my Savior is wonderful. Yeah. In fact, if we could begin to grasp it, I think that at that point, our sanctified imaginations would fail. Even if we could say, it's this and this and this and this and this, when we finally receive that great blessing, we'll find out it's so much more that we've never considered before. Whatever it is, the Father will give it to us out of His grace and love. The promise of God is right there. Fear not, little flock. We don't have to go into battle to win it. We don't have to create a crusade in order to have it. We don't have to reach uh, a, a hundred souls saved before we've earned uh, this blessing from the Lord. It will come of the good pleasure of the sovereign God. The point of all this thus far. In this paragraph is. Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't be over anxious. Over non-essentials. Even temporary difficulties. Set your heart on serving the Lord. And move forward. Trusting him for today. We'll let tomorrow. Be taken care of by the Lord. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Let's just move on.